Shakes pals. Happy Thursday. It has been a heck of a week over here. We got some amazing feedback on our most recent WandaVision episode. Had a really fun live show on Monday night that will be released as an episode in a couple weeks. And today marks the start of our third season. We are covering fools, clowns, and entertainment. So buckle up because it's going to be a wonderfully silly ride. You definitely will want to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash p2mpod for some delightful bonus features that'll be popping up there soon. Up today is Sarah Plaskett from Ripe Good Scholar, and she brings some amazing insight into Shakespeare's clowns. So let's jump right into it. As always, if you like what you hear, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Welcome to Protest Too Much, a Shakespeare showdown podcast where a guest and I go head-to-head each week, and you get to decide who wins. Okay, so today we are chatting best clown, and I have with me Shakespearean blogger and podcaster Sarah Plaskett. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this. This is a lot of fun to look into for Good. this podcast. I'm glad. I like when people have fun preparing rather than it feeling mm-hmm. like homework. <laughs> oh, well, I also do love homework, so. There we go. I think it's a. I think it's a like an intersection of people that um, would be willing to dive into a Shakespeare podcast and also who really like school was their jam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. School is definitely my jam. But yeah, I was I. God, I've had this Shakespeare blog forever, on and off. Like, I started it in college, so it was real hit or miss. But I'm like, I'm committed now. So Grown tell up. me a little bit about Ripe Good Scholar. Uh, so yeah, I run a blog called Ripe Good Scholar. It started out as a um, kind of a passion project about teaching Shakespeare to kids and sort of evolved from there because I don't have the, like, classroom background. Um, so I started looking more into kind of relating Shakespeare to modern day issues. And through that, looking at Shakespeare from like the time it was written to now, like how we constructed this image of like the bard as the greatest writer. And, you know, not that his plays aren't amazing, but there's a lot of like, he's like the god of writing. And I'm like, he's good. Calm down, guys. <laughs> he's, um, a pulp, he's a Pulp Fiction author and exactly. has somehow lasted for 500 years. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And um, one of my favorite things to do is to look into the source material he used. So I do that a lot on my podcast, um, which right now we're working on a rebrand, but right now you can find it under Breaking Bard. Um, And it's... uh, It... he he used sources for almost every play and you're reading it sometimes you're like wow you just lifted that right okay <laughs> you just lifted that right out of there sir. copy and paste without even yeah. an mla in text citation might exactly, i exactly exactly <laughs> i'm like yeah now i know plagiarism was not a thing he was too worried about um n- nor was anybody at the time really nope. but um yeah so and it's really interesting to look at from that perspective his evolution as a writer as more of an adapter and an editor than a like, oh, I came up with all these characters just right out of my head. Um, you know, I always say there's a reason we're not reading Plutarch and Holland shit anymore, but we're still <laughs> reading Shakespeare. Yeah, because he made them fun and uh, entertaining. And that's what I think that, Absolutely. you know, when we when we pedestal Shakespeare, we're forgetting that he was 
the you know if you go to a train station i call them like train station writers Mm -hmm. if you go to a train station and or an airport and you grab a book off the shelf like usually Mm -hmm. it's stuff that's high impact it's going to keep you your attention for the entire train ride and you'll maybe recycle it when you (laughs) land on the plane like it's not a book you're going to keep and treasure but it's something that was like a story for your journey and i feel like that's a lot of what shakespeare was Mm mm-hmm and because he's lasted, we've been able to, like, keep building on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also what's helped him last was his kind of – he, where he shines, where his talent really was, I feel, is kind of creating that human element. Like, he just found something that taps into something that's so innately human that even 400 years later, we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get that, you know, Othello or, you know, pick someone. Um, yeah, pick anyone. And- yeah, and so I think that's why it's been able to last, and he the characters have such depth that also, with minimal kind of removing of a line here, or just changing your tone as an actor, you can completely change the message of the play. Mm-hmm. Um, like Merchant of Venice over the years has just went from like, oh good, we converted that evil evil Jew to like, oh... That wasn't great. This is more of a tragedy now. And I'm like, I think sometimes we forget that was supposed to be a happy ending. Right. Yeah. When we look at the comedy element of it. uh, Yeah. As it's (laughs) organized. But yeah. So let's talk about actual comedy. Yes. Um, We're talking about clowns today. So we've for this season, we have uh, broken the clown role into broken the fool role into like subcategories so Mm -hmm. um we're leaving the court fools aside Mm -hmm. for today and we're looking at the everyman clown so yes sarah who do you think is the best clown in all of shakespeare so this was a little tough because (laughs) there are a lot of really really good ones but i ended up actually landing kind of an unconventional choice but i landed on falstaff I, he is a knight, but he's not exactly a nobleman. <laughs> and well, if I, I was like, no, I shouldn't go with Falstaff. But I was like, man, he is just peak. He checks all the boxes for the clown. And actually, he was played by Will Kemp at the time, I found out. So I was like, perfect. Okay. So I'm going with Falstaff. All right. And who do... I think is the best clown in all of Shakespeare. You are going with actually one of my uh, sentimental favorites, which is Dogberry from Much Ado About Nothing. I love him. That's so kind. Much. I okay. Um, I love Dogberry. I love everything about this character. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm excited for that. Um, all right. Why don't you Why don't you take it away with your Defining Falstaff as a clown and then defending him as the best. So I think that as I was looking through the Shakespeare clowns, um, even within kind of the everyman clown, you had some archetypes. You had kind of the overconfident idiot like um, Nick Bottom is like hands down. He's like, I'm the best actor. I can play all the parts. Um, And then you had... um, the uh, what did my husband call it the mal malapro uh, the person who misuses language mm-hmm. just constantly and that that was costard uh, from misusing it and misunderstanding it which leads to just some hilarious banter 
And then later in the plays, like with the Porter and the Gravediggers and Hamlet, you have kind of the philosophical commoner. You know, you have them musing about like hell and death. And I feel like as I was looking through all this, I was like, Falstaff is kind of a little mix of all of them. Like he, you know, he muses on courage and what it means and how it actually ends up meaning nothing. But also he is just up in there. He's like, yeah, I'm friends with the future king. Look at me. I'm awesome. Let's go rob some people. This will go fine. But at the same time is constantly like being outwitted by Hal and and the men around him to like just constantly getting in trouble and then at the same time talking his way back out of it. Um, you know, I look at um, Henry the Fourth Part Two, where we have Shallow coming in, um, and he is just like, "Oh, my good friend, it's been so long," and they're like, "Oh, we're best buds," and then it's like, "Oh, oops, Falstaff was actually being a terrible person that whole time," and Shallow what? doesn't realize it till the end, where he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm just like," so you know, I think that. A lot of times we pass over Falstaff because it's like a lot of times the clown rolls is like a bit of a smaller role, whereas Falstaff is this larger than life figure. But what I like about him is that he's kind of that connection in Shakespeare's journey as a writer from kind of the, you know, little bit, um, I hate to say flatter characters, but a little bit flatter characters of like Costard and Nick Bottom to these like really deep characters that are maybe only in one scene, but have pack a huge impact again, looking at the Gravediggers. And I feel like Falstaff's a good through line point of that. So I think he's the epitome of our Shakespeare everyman clown. Okay. Um, but have you considered, uh, which clearly mm-hmm. you have, uh, <laughs> Dogberry from Much Ado. <laughs> So here's the thing about mm-hmm. Dogberry that I that frustrates me so much, not about him, not about Dogberry, but about like the play in general and society, is that this play would have had a very different ending if people had had the patience to listen through Dogberry's rambling mm-hmm. and like Leonardo is so wrapped up in his own uh, preparation and planning and anxiety and uh, his own ego that he doesn't give Dogberry the time to pre, like, like none of the whole wedding fiasco, which just wouldn't have happened if he had paused, listened, and given Dogberry the actual Mm -hmm. chance to kind of get it out. And um, I know that doesn't say much about Dogberry as a person, but what it does highlight is the fact that he is sincerely trying. And he is frustrating. And he can't get his act together and he is you know around and around and around and around and around the issue but everything he does is so sincere he his Mm -hmm. like offense at being called an ass his overconfidence his like you know misplaced um uh because i don't know if it's ego i think a lot of it is ego but like it comes from a place where he is trying Mm -hmm. his best to keep this place running and safe and everything is working against him his watch is working against yeah. him. Uh, Virgis honestly is not much help. <laughs> um, 
Leonardo doesn't listen to him. Uh, everything is kind of coming at him from a bunch of different directions. And I'm not going to get too much into the fact that this is a lot of how we treat uneducated people in a way that is dismissive and uh, mm -hmm. really unfortunate. That doesn't give yeah. them the opportunity to earnestly um, <laughs> get their thoughts and feelings out there. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. But yeah. I do want to mention it, and it's one of the but reasons. It's there. That, it's, there. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I love Doug Barry so much because everything about him is earnest. Like he is just. It doesn't necessarily come across as as well as he would want it to, but like he is a hundred percent committed to his job, mm -hmm. to keeping people safe, to you know keeping the peace. Like that is him, um, and mm -hmm. it's hilarious. So we see this sincerity, oh, yeah. and then we have all those malapropisms, mala, malaprop, malapropisms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a weird word. Yeah, I think that's a word. It's, it's a word. Um, if it's not, it is now. We just made it. <laughs> coined it. Um, but he he is a source of humor, um, but he's not the... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that he's really sincere and I really love him and he can be funny. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of his like bravado comes from a place of insecurity. So maybe we should feel bad oh, yeah. for laughing at him, but usually the best parts of the play. So but at the same time, yeah, absolutely. And like, that is one thing I do love about Doc Bray. It's like, I'm like, man, he is just very committed to his job. Yeah. And he he is he is trying and and you know as I was preparing for this I watched um, scenes from Joss Whedon's Much Ado with Nathan Fillion Nathan Fillion oh. and he just does such a good job because like when um, like he tells after he's called an ass you know he says you know do you not respect my place but he says suspect my place. But he says it in such a way you almost don't realize he used the wrong word. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, do you not suspect my place? <laughs> and he's just like, oh. Yeah. Nathan and Fillion is hands like, down the best part of that movie as a oh, side yeah. note. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He 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 stole the show on yep. that one. You know, but yeah. And, and, and like you said, at the same time, like, it's like, oh, you guys should really listen to him. But also I can understand why he is just so frustrating to listen to because not only is he long-winded but he keeps using the wrong words so you have to figure out what he's trying to say um which is just great but you know and then but with Falstaff like he is he is not committed to any sort of noble cause <laughs> But he's at least honest about it. Sure. Okay. Like, he's like, I spend my day with prostitutes. I steal from people. I am I am going to just pay a bunch of people to serve in my, you know, bit of the army. Which I'm a little bit like, how? Really? You gave him, like, troops? I know. Stop it. But, you know, and... and but part of what makes Falstaff so enjoyable... His, his larger than life stories, you know, his like, you know, like when they trick him on when, after he robs the guys and then they immediately rob, um, Hal immediately robs it from him, you know, oh my gosh, it becomes, we were swarmed by, you know, a dozen men and, and it, it, you know, was absolute chaos. I almost died, you know, even though 
they know that didn't happen, they're still like, oh, wow, really? That's crazy. Um, and I think that's what makes Falstaff so enjoyable, not only to watch, but would make him enjoyable to, like, be around. Like, he is just genuinely a fun time. Like, and that's his number one priority is, like, let's have a good time, guys. Which I think just ends up for entertainment all around. Yeah, so I like that kind of story storytelling element of it because even in Merry Wives with the... I mean, the entire play, but, like, when he gets thrown in the river. Like, it's the same exact... There's so much consistency in the character. It's the same uh, kind of over-exaggeration of how the thing happened when he's talking to um, Fortis Brooke later mm-hmm. about it. And even though... So you have different reactions. Like, Hal is the one who played the prank, and Ford has no idea um, he's hearing it for the first time. But the reaction is still the yeah. same. Like, the reaction is still, like... Mm-hmm. what <laughs> and so i think his genuine <laughs> yeah, ability exactly. for storytelling is that like that good that you can't help but be sucked into it yeah and i think to an extent um too he almost buys into his own worldview sure. like this own dramatic he he is the hero of his own story and that's why in henry the fourth part two when Henry V says, I, you know, I know thee not, old man, is that you feel so bad for him, but at the same time, like, that's his worldview crumbling. Like, he was like, I was best friends with the now king. We're all set, guys. We're great for life. And then he was like, oh, that's not what's about to happen. And I think that, you know, in terms of kind of feeling bad for him, like we do with Dogberry, of this, like, oh, your vision of yourself just fell apart. And it's that's that's part of what makes it so devastating. Because, yeah. like, by an objective standard, like, Falstaff is not a good person. No, he's a terrible <laughs> person. He's just not a good person. And you're just like, what? You know, I laughed when I, I read uh, Harold Bloom's book on Falstaff a while back. And I kept telling my husband, like, I just want someone to love me as much as Harold Bloom loves Falstaff. Like, because he's like, well, he's, he kept trying to be like, he's not really that bad. I'm oh like, my God. But, but you is, would though. say that, Harold like, Bloom. <laughs> you would. I know. He's like, well, and it's, it's cause he's charming, you know? Mm. And it's like, yeah, I get that, sir. But also, like, there's a whole lot of, like, robbery and just bad, bad things that he's knowingly doing. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I think it's interesting because even though he's this objectively bad person, he he is someone who like he is the hero of his own story, and and that is what makes him so entertaining. Well, I think it's kind of the inverse for for Dogberry mm-hmm. because Dogberry is the hero of his own story, and he's a mm. good person that nobody else takes the time to see so while everyone is charmed by Falstaff's kind of like presentation of himself um on the inside he's this like dirty little weasel trying to uh -hmm. you know do whatever is most selfishly driven whereas Dogberry nobody can give him the time of day but like the motivation is so pure and so like kind-hearted that that's very true it's like a it's a 
I, I know this is a podcast, so y'all can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but trust me, it makes sense. It's a great little dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like a like a, a swap I, uh, of, of their um, yeah. presentation versus No, that's motivation. a really good good point because you know and you know and back to like you were saying not to like harp on it too much but the idea that we kind of listen to Falstaff because he is a knight and he's I mean well educated he doesn't like you know he's not like a super smart person but he's not you know uh an idiot by any means <laughs> in most cases um you know, whereas Dogberry, like you're saying, he because he is is like trying to speak at a kind of higher level than he is really capable of. Mm-hmm. People dismiss him because they're like, "Oh God!" But he is noble-hearted, even though he is, you know, long-winded and <laughs> not great with words. Not great with words. <laughs> I think that's something to to highlight too is that. A lot of these clowns, and I think a lot of them um, are in the same vein, your Costard and your maybe less so bottom, mm-hmm. but definitely Dogberry and Costard are the two that come to mind immediately are are surrounded yeah. by um, higher status, higher educated people. I mean, Costard is literally mm-hmm. around a scholar and a priest or whatever they are. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's an element of trying too hard that yeah. is like maybe the cause of all of those malapropisms. Oh, I said it so good that time. <laughs> no, you did. You got it. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know that uh, I could have said it. <laughs> it's a, I don't know why it's such a hard word to say, but okay. It is um, hard. But maybe that's that's why is because like they're constantly surrounded by people who they're trying to present themselves um, mm-hmm. more like more high class than they are, and there's something about the. Um, the fact that Falstaff probably again does the opposite. He's speaking to his tavern because he knows these people and those are that's his world that mm-hmm. makes him more immediately relatable to them and more enjoyable to them. Or more like they're mm-hmm. more willing to listen to him because he's not trying. He's just yeah. He just is. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, a sad and I think... sad state. <laughs> it is. But I think that what's uh, interesting with even to an extent with Nick Bottom is like, you know, he's with the queen of the fairies and he like, but the minute he gets that little taste of like, Oh, there's someone serving me. He's like, yes, go get me a drop of dew from the leg of a honeybee. And I'm like, (laughs) calm down, sir. (laughs) But, um, you know, and even like the grave digger in Hamlet, like like he doesn't know he's talking to Hamlet, but there's this kind of attitude of like, I know what I'm talking about. I do this all day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this You're kind in of my like, world now. Hey, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to my graveyard. <laughs> like, I, let me tell you what's up. Um, and I think that's why he's really kind of a good back and forth with Hamlet is like, you know, Hamlet's this kind of like very d- deeply intellectual person and is constantly in his own head. And then the gravedigger's here, and he's making very deep, somewhat philosophical points. But he's just like, yeah, see, this is this guy's skull. See, I'm holding it. Like, he used to, he played a joke on me. Look who's laughing now. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point, though, is that, like, um, where we see Hamlet, he's always, you know, the smartest one in the room 
to his disadvantage, mm-hmm. but then in that situation, he's not, and he's, like, the roles have reversed in a way without uh, necessarily seeming like it because the gravedigger is so funny and so all yeah. over the place. Yeah, he's, he's, like, funny and all over the place and, and, you know, isn't in this kind of, like, heady language, but he's making very kind of potent, powerful points. Yeah. And it's just, like... Oh, like that's I think that's what I always enjoy about the clowns is that they can have this witty repartee with people, whether they're misusing words or not. Like it's still, you know, so funny to listen to, like Costard and Love Labor's Lost when he's like, were you were you with a, a, a lady? No. She was a maid. Okay. Well, you also aren't allowed to talk to maids. Well, she was a damsel. Well, damsels too. <laughs> you know, yeah. the king's like, sir. And he's like coming up with every word for woman. <laughs> you know, and just points out the ridiculousness of the situation. And I think that's what makes the kind of every man clown so special is because they, they're funny because like the fools are there. They're, like the court fools, mm-hmm. they're there to make the royalty laugh and to poke fun. And like, that's their job literally. But the, these fools are kind of like, well, this is dumb. And like, yeah. just pointing it out, like, like normal people do because that's what they are. They're just normal people who right. are like, what are you doing? And even? they're kind of turning the fixation on the specificity of language around back at them by either misusing words or mm-hmm. like you were saying with Costard, like throwing every vocab word in the book. Yeah. Back out. So like, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a fun kind of twist on uh, the, I guess, verbal hierarchy of Shakespeare's characters. Yeah is that the clowns are willing to um, kind of, ah, yeah, okay, well. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sir, whatever you say. Got it. You know, like, kind of like, you know, and, and what I love about that is because often what is so intimidating with Shakespeare is the language. Yeah. And here Shakespeare has these characters that are like, wow, this language is ridiculous. <laughs> in his plays right right and like i just like we have to appreciate that we have to appreciate shakespeare being like i don't have to make everybody talk this fancy but i'm going to yes (laughs) oh i i love it i love clowns um listeners who do you love do you think it's falstaff or do you think it's dogberry you can vote on facebook at facebook.com slash p2m pod or on twitter at p2m pod um or let us know who is your who's your favorite clown in shakespeare Mm -hmm. tell us why you love those clowns sarah thank you so much for being here um let everyone know where they can find all of your stuff yes absolutely so you can go to ripegoodscholar.com that's where you'll kind of find the hub of everything um and also if you go to ripegoodscholar.com slash protest um you can sign up for my email list and i have a little like um i don't i won't call an ebook it's like five pages but of uh all about the clowns because i had so much fun looking into this i was like i have to write this all down um so that's for you and your listeners i'll send that over and um but twitter facebook instagram ripe good scholar i try to keep it pretty (laughs) pretty easy to find me but yeah ripegoodscholar.com slash protest and get a fun little digital 
read <laughs> well i'm thingy. excited for that <laughs> that sounds really cool um yep. so yeah definitely ripegoodscholar.com slash protest mm-hmm. love it thank you so much for being here thank you everyone thank for you listening for me. and we'll see you all next week Serious business.